All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Sexual 7 panel. While there is a similar core motivation to the type, the way the type expresses itself is so different from instinct to instinct. And that's what we hope all of you catch is how different it is. And so today we're looking at the seven and the sexual instinct and how they match up, what happens when those two converge. And so first of all, I just want to begin by welcoming you and having you just introduce yourself, tell us your name and where you're from. And yes, since Joel is a sexual seven, we'll be hearing a bit more from him. So we actually have four sexual sevens on the panel today that we're going to be hearing from. And this is Again, we get to do this so we can see through someone else's lens, see how they see the world. And these instincts provide such an amazing nuance on top of the type, the aspects of it that double down on the type and the aspects of it that expand or or go against the type and gives it a lot more of a nuanced elaboration. And so we're jumping into that uh, today. So from each of our panels, just introduce yourself, uh, your name and where you're from. My name is Erin. I'm 33. I'm from Fort Lauderdale. I'm a mom of two littles currently, an almost five-year-old and a two-year-old. My name is Christian. I am from Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm 24. I'm a music instructor for little kids and a musician. Hi, I'm Peggy. I'm an instructor coach for a local university. I teach social work and I live in West Sacramento and Lake Almanar, California. All right. Fantastic. Well, welcome to each of you. Uh, As we begin, I'm just going to define real quick, as I've done for each type, what the core motivation is for the seven. And uh, we use a bunch of words because there's uh, difficult to get specifically what that energy is that is seeking to get satisfied to avoid something. So we say sevens tend to avoid pain and pursuit of pleasure. They tend to avoid things that are difficult or that are boring or that are feel like it's depriving or feel trapped by something. And, and instead, we lean forward towards the future, towards our imagination, and that uh, tends to be the drive of the, of the seven. So with that, pair that up and tell me how that interacts with the sexual energy. And the first aspect that we'll look at is the ability to take risks, sometimes called evolutionary energy. It's that need to change, to bring about uh, something new. So talk to me about how that interacts with uh, your need to avoid pain and in pursuit of pleasure. I drank. My mind was so full constantly of thoughts. Like my, my mind would never turn off. I couldn't imagine having, I mean, I'm a social worker. I couldn't have imagined having a job that was like inside an office. Like I have to be moving, constantly moving. Um, My day has to be completely different every day. And Mm. so at the very end, like close to the end of my career, uh, my actual uh, direct service career, now I'm teaching, but I never shut off. I would come home and, you know, and drink wine so that I could, I could shut that off. I, I think that's the biggest thing for me. And you were shutting off. You said you're shutting off your mind, but yeah. can you say more about what was going through your mind? Because different types will shut off their minds for different reasons. Uh, what was happening for you? What were you thinking about? Was it chasing something new, something different? Was it a new idea? What, what was going on for you? Yeah, I mean, 
again, if you work for government systems, systems, you know, you have an, an idea what social work is really about, which your basic core would be to make kids safer, right? But you're working up against a system that absolutely sucks. So that cognitive dissonance between how I wanted to be as a worker and how things were and the barriers I came up against, they just built up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just needed a release to get away from that. Yeah. You articulated well the seven in that, the need mm-hmm. to be interested to avoid some of that pain. How do you see that overlapping with the evolutionary energy, the, the risk, the ability to push the envelope to, to take risk in order to break boundaries? I think the more I drank, the more risk I took. I mean, I really believe, you know, like I was getting in a car and driving. I was coming to work, not feeling really well in the morning and taking a risk that I wasn't the best person that I could be. If you're talking about risks, like looking over the uh, Grand Canyon, that's not the kind of risk I'm looking at. The risk was I was risking my relationships with my family, my husband, my daughter, my grandkids. And I kept pushing that risk because I knew there was going to be a time where someone was going to say, you know, uh, you can't have me and that too. (laughs) I knew it was going to happen. And I just kept pushing it. I kept pushing the boundaries until I made somebody finally say, mom, (laughs) that's enough. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That the risk there I hear is in when there's so much pain, for the seven, there's a, a way of managing that pain that tends to pursue, you know, pleasure, numb the pain, go after the pleasure. And if you have the instinct of the ability to take risks, it's, it just seems to push that in full throttle. Like you are now doing everything you can to avoid pain, risking a whole lot. So risk gets amplified in a negative way. You know, there's the high side to that, which I'd like to hear about as well, is in what ways do you produce change that's really good that uh, brings about something better. But yeah, totally understand and relate, by the way. That's also very much my story of having been in in situations where the pain was so bad that it just, I kept pushing against everything and wanting change like compulsively as a way to avoid the pain in order to just like, and it wasn't even like I was finding pleasure in that. It was just like, I'm avoiding pain like as much as I can. Because the next thing will have less pain in it. At my worst, I couldn't even think about the next thing being less painful. It was interesting. It was like, get out of this situation in any way you can, you know, not to feel this pain. When I would take a break to think, yeah, my mind would go to a better future, better. Like if I can just get through this, if I can just get through this, so always, always saying that if I can just get through this, then, and it was this idea, everything was postponed to the future in the pursuit of, you know, so yeah. Yeah. Aaron, you were nodding your head for some of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I could relate how it shows up for me. It's I'm definitely, I would say like, I cannot be stagnant. I could never be that way. And I think I am also sober. So drinking for me allowed me to be stagnant a lot. But originally when I had to get sober, it was a necessity. So I got sober at 22 and I just up and left my life. Like I lived in, I was, I'm from Massachusetts, but I just realized like, I can't be here anymore. If things are going to change, it all has to change. And I took a big risk and I moved to Florida. It was like, everyone was like, what is she doing? But it was what saved me in a way. It 
just made me able to do it by myself. I think I could easily fall, fall back. I'm one of five, the baby of five. So I was enabled, but just taken care of. My parents were fixers and that's not a bad thing. They loved me so much. They wanted to fix everything, but I needed to do it, you know? And I had to take that risk of just moving and doing it myself. Mm. There, there may be a running theme with sexual sevens and some sort of substance issues <laughs> because, because I, oh my gosh, I'm so, so like that too. And I think, you know, me and my friends growing up, going to Catholic school and going to church every Sunday, I think we kind of looked at each other and we were just like, hmm, how much can we get away with? You know, <laughs> and then as as life piles on more and more, you just try to get away with more and more, and then it goes and it goes from you know one thing to the next, and it gets gets a lot bigger. And so in that way, I've just started to come down from that dark place as well, because you know I'm kind of young, but I'm I'm very blessed. You know, my parents are also fixers as well. Like Peggy says, I have a lot of blessings that, and I know full well of like how much I could be throwing away. And back then I would do that anyway, you know, and then I'd wake up the next day and everything would be fine. I'm just like, Mm. well, like, what was, what was the point of, of any of that? And I think with risks in a, in a positive way, I definitely can't stay in the same place, you know, mentally or physically at one time either. But for a music teacher, that can be that can be a good thing because with a kid between like four and seven years old, they go in, they have no idea what to expect. And when you walk in and then you see this teacher and he's already kind of just bouncing from here to there because he like left some papers over here. He like dropped some music over there and he's got to pick up some notes. It can be a little bit intriguing and they can kind of like get a little bit less self-absorbed and be a little bit more like open to, okay, once this guy has his stuff figured out, like what, what's he going to say? What, what songs are we going to (laughs) do? You know, and each, every single week is, is different. And, you know, as, as a guy that just thinks that I am a big kid, already it's all just fun and games like every single time you know there's no this has to get done or this has to be right or you know you're not doing it this way is just is just out the window yeah well and i imagine with you as a teacher one of the um, advantages to having the ability to change on a dime you know to be able to flip the script is useful when you're when you're working with individuals and you recognize this one needs something different than the other one. And so you're able to flex. Is that true for you? Are you able to flex pretty easily from child to child? Oh yeah. Like, I mean, when, when a kid starts crying, you can't just be like, all right, everyone keep doing your scale. It's like, okay, time to spin around and do some jumping jacks. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's really good. I would love to hear a little more on the high side. So um, I really appreciate how vulnerable you've all been as far as that hard part of the, um, the cost that's come with some of that pushing the envelope or, or needing to move on to the next thing. But, you know, Christian, you brought up one of the the high sides and I would, I would love to hear from Peggy, Aaron, Joel, like what is, what is a high side you see from that energy? 
Uh, I can, I can really speak to that. You just made me think of it. Um, again, kind of going back to my social work career when I was actually in the field, I was such an out of the box thinker that, you know, someone would want to go to rehab. And of course, the cognitive dissonance around being a social worker that drinks, working with people that drink is, is another podcast, right? So, <laughs> yeah. um, Quickly, we had a, a dad who kept driving down Market Street after getting out of rehab and using again. So I just, you know, I said, go home, think about what you could be doing because your boys love you more than anything on the planet. And I don't want to see you lose your boys. And he came back and said, this is really off the wall. But what if I go to CrossFit for 30 days and I drug test every day for 30 days? And if I do really well at CrossFit, then the boys can come and join me at CrossFit and damned if that didn't work. So, you know, I told him, I said, I'm in a small town. I'm going to go to bat for you, but you better not let me down. Mm. You better be successful because yeah, yeah. I want to be able to do this for someone else. That's and good. so I think my out of the box thinking has really made a difference in um, social work because I don't go the same way other people do. And yeah, they think I'm crazy sometimes, but I've been more successful than a lot of other social workers because of it. That's beautiful. Very nice. <laughs> I love what about it. you, Aaron? Honestly, I think I'm just down for anything. I think everyone, all my mom friends are like, your boys are so lucky because you'll just do whatever, you know? Like I just go with the flow. We're outside the majority of the day. I'm not super rigid. I'm very flexible. I hate actually being confined of any sort. So it's like, I will jump out of a plane tomorrow if, if the opportunity presents itself. I'm like kind of always down for the next adventure. And I like am very future focused. I'm always planning my next adventure as well. Um, I can't stay in the same place. So I think also like whenever I went into the working world, I was like, am I just lazy that I can't work a nine to five? Like what mm -hmm. is wrong with me? I literally thought I was like, there was something wrong with me. Oh. And then finally I realized, oh my God, this is just who I am. Like I need that flexibility. <laughs> I'm so glad you realized that at your age, my friend, because that's, <laughs> that is, I have battled with that, you know, all my life as well. And I hear that from other sexual sevens. They feel irresponsible. They feel like, you know, yeah, that, that I, why is it that I can't work like other people and do what they do? And it's like both a, a desire to not do that. And at the same time, a sense of like, I should, and I, why can't I? And uh, so, yeah. No. Yeah. Like literally my dad like made a joke and, my um speech at my wedding like this year she's gonna get a job and i'm like oh my god i'm mortified but finally i'm realizing like that's just i'm just not made out for the nine to five like i want to work and help people and i'm also i also have my social work degree i forgot that but right now i'm at yeah social workers i'm just like I can't, that is just so stifling for me. So stifling. <laughs> yeah. That freedom allows for some of that creativity that the sexual seven is really good at. Um, talk about, I'd love to hear from each of you about this second category, this broadcasting and attraction in the sexual instinct has this ability to like send the vibes out, you know, <laughs> and pull others in. It draws, there's an energy exchange that you, that, that you have that's so good at. How does this show up uh, in, in regards to your seven? For me, I think my family has always said people are just drawn to you. I think I'm very easy to talk to and I really don't do small talk. So it's like 
come to me. I'll, I'll give you something and I'll be your listening ear. It's all of my relationships. Like I don't have a lot of friends, but I have a lot of really good ones. Yeah. And I'm definitely charismatic. I use my hands a lot. <laughs> so they're, they're drawn to me as well. And I didn't really understand it for the longest time. And especially for someone who doesn't really like small talk either, they'll just come up to me and then try to like do some small talk. I'm just like, why are you, why are you talking to me? And well, um, you know, and I don't, I don't say that because I'm not that mean. But um, <laughs> with like the the charisma and the charm thing, I am a firm believer in making anyone feel okay with anything that they have to say mm-hmm. um, or anything that they would like to say. A lot of nods going on that one. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Because it, because yeah, that just unrestraintness, it frees, it's a mutual freeing. Yes. And it's, and it's, it's mutually ah, mutual. empowering. And one of my favorite, favorite things to do ever is to just make a total fool out of myself mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or just like say something absolutely ridiculous. I remember going in um, when I was in high school, just going in, go grabbing a hall pass and then just going into another classroom being like, hi, Mrs. Cranes, how you doing? Any uh, good movies today? And everyone just looking at me like, what are you doing? Or like every first class in college ever, it's just like, hey, name three things about you and like why you chose this degree. And I would, every single time I would just go into my life story, it'd be like this little joke where I'd like (laughs) just block out 20 minutes just for me, everybody. Um, and, I'm like, <laughs> and my friends loved it and everyone, everyone else was weirded out for sure. But, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, I look back on some of my like finest moments. I'm putting quote fingers in the air, um, <laughs> my finest moments. And it's just times where I've just, yeah, really been able to just break the ice. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like, is- everything you just said, it's uh, it's, oh my gosh. Yes. I've done all of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, me too. God. What's so interesting is that I'm 68 years old, right? So seeing you two is just, it's like watching me all over again. I mean, I got straight A's in school and my mom said, can you just please once not get needs to practice self-control marked on your report card? Just, <laughs> I don't care if you get a B, but don't get needs to practice self-control on your, on your report card. And I I think all my life, and I think I was going to grow out of it. You guys will not grow out of it. It, I guarantee (laughs) you're not going to grow out of it Hmm. is that, you know, I think if anybody said name three things about Peggy, one of them would be random. I'm the most random person on the planet, Mm. but also um, kind of make fun of myself, you know, kind of that self deprivation thing. And, you know, I have to be careful about that a little bit because I can, I can go a little bit too far with that. That's the negative side of it, but I can connect with somebody through zoom. I can Mm. connect through zoom. And I cried when I had to, when I found out I had to do zoom, zoom teaching, Mm. like I literally cried and I said, I was going to quit. But I'm so glad I hung in there because I can read people and that's, you know, the other side of um, the instincts. But yeah, Yeah, I resonate with that, Peggy, because that is one of the discoveries I think that a lot of us make as we grow and transform is that the ability to make that connection, that ability to put ourselves out there and then have people respond to it 
is not limited by, you know, by some of the circumstances in our lives. Sometimes we feel like we have to, we really push and put a lot of energy into it. And we don't, sometimes it's just a little bit of energy in that field. And we're surprised by how people do respond to us. Mm-hmm. For me, broadcasting is, um, when I first saw that, I thought that's probably my weakest because um, I didn't see myself kind of wanting to put myself out in the world and say, look at me, look at me. Um, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, Oh, I see it in the small ways. I see it a lot in the small ways, in the way like if I do something, um, you know, if I'm playing drums or if I'm doing pull-ups or something like that, and and, and, and someone looks over, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, keep looking, watch what I can do. But I don't, I don't want to make it obvious. I want it to be like, I didn't even notice that you're looking at me. I want to have that feel to it. So the, and the, and that, that's like constant too. That's the embarrassing thing about it. So I'm really saying something that I don't wish that I'm probably going to feel vulnerable, <laughs> vulnerability hangover later, but that has been a constant since I was a kid and I can see that. So that, in that mm-hmm. sense, yes, I'm throwing the fish out, you know, the fishing line out into the water uh, for sure. I used to think I was like very conceited for like, for when someone, like I catch someone watching me do something like playing the piano or, or just like standing there that I, I felt like I had to do something. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, let's talk about this third component, this immersion infusion, the, the ability to connect to someone in a deep way to like fuse with, it can be another person and it often is, but it can also be like a, a passion project and activity, something you go all the way in on just getting completely connected to the energy of that. Joel, you and I have talked about like, this is one of the reasons that you're a good coach is because you really go into this fusion immersion with someone when you're with your coaching, you, you can connect with them really deeply. So if you can kick us off and I want to hear from everyone as far as how does this immersion fusion show up through the seven? Yeah. Yeah. The immersion fusion is, um, I think when you said it's, it's both a person and an idea, I think that's so true for a lot of people. And I think a lot of different types, but I can say for sure for the seven, like for, for me, I can get soaked into an idea and it becomes all consuming. And in fact, that's how I prefer to do things is by immersion. So like when I went for my certification, I was the only student who went there and stayed all three weeks to get the entire five intensives done. And everybody else said, that's crazy. No one does this, Mm -hmm. but said, I have to, because it's by my immersion. I didn't even know it at the time, but it's by being completely soaked in it Mm -hmm. that I actually do my best. That's how I absorb it. I don't, I couldn't even tell you what I was learning. If someone said, what did you learn? Well, there was a few ideas that were really interesting to me, but exactly what I learned, I couldn't tell you. But I knew and I trusted my process of immersion and soaking in that, that eventually all of it would make sense and connect. And that's just how I do it. I immerse myself with people. And if I'm around you long enough, I'll figure you out. I'll understand who you are. So it it was so insightful to see. That's how I do everything. It's the immersion. If I'm interested in it, it's the immersion that then allows me to understand it better and to feel connected to it. Yeah, I can relate to that. Whenever I find something that really works for me, I'm all in. Like I need to know everything. (laughs) So it's just like, I can't, there's too much information and not enough time, but I want it all. Um, (laughs) 
And it, I talk about my family a lot, but it's my sister's always like, oh my God, you're always reading a new book and doing a new thing. And I have no desire to do it, any of that. What's like, and I'm like, if I, I don't know. It's just, if I'm not growing, if I'm not, mm-hmm. if I'm stagnant, I get so bored. And that's like, yeah such a not good place for me. I just end up acting out in other ways, which are not healthy. So a little bit about me is, so I did get sober at 22, but once I had children, I started drinking again. And I think a lot of that was because I was so lost in motherhood in a way that I lost who I was. And I just Mm -hmm. felt like I wasn't growing at all. And so Mm -hmm. to stop the head from like just going in those circles of I'm not doing enough of my work, you know, like I'm at home all day. I am a little stifled at home all day. I'm taking care of others. Um, It was my way of numbing out, turning off for the day. But now as I move forward and I'm realizing like healthier coping skills, like I do yoga and meditate every day. And that's the only way I can stay balanced. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, it's very obvious. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it, for immersion infusion, like I do, I really, what energizes me is like that one-to-one contact, that one-to-one deep conversation. I have a lot of, I would say, close friendships where we go deep. I think like the first sentence that comes out of my mouth when I have a new friend is, I don't do small talk. So if you <laughs> like, let's just cut to the chase and some people stay and some people, but I usually can feel them out and be like, okay, they don't want to do small talk either. You guys are speaking my language for sure. I mean, I, I hate small talk so much. I drank at it. Mm-hmm. Like there's, you know, there's nothing worse than small talk to me. And I, and so it even led to some pre-drinking because I'm like, I don't want to go to this stupid party and, and have small talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, everyone's told me all my life how social I am, but I hated, I don't like big crowds. I hate them. I can't mm-hmm. stand, I can't stand them. So I get really excited. I, I have to be really careful about empathy versus compassion Yeah, because, because I can, I can get too empathetic. I can get mm-hmm. too involved in someone else. And I've, that's the work I've done over the past few years is really move towards the compassion part, holding people. Mm-hmm without judgment, but not, not giving too much of myself to them. Yeah. Mm. My, I do it with hands too, Aaron, but I get so geeked out when, I mean, my best friend and I have these nights where we will talk for hours. My husband's just dumbfounded and it's such deep conversation. We, yeah. and then we get so excited. She reads a book on trauma. I read a book on trauma and then we're like, Oh my God, we have to like talk about the two books we just read on trauma. So um, any brain science, any trauma, or or I do a lot of coaching with new social workers, and I just feel like I can, I can I can do so much with a new social worker that doesn't have all the bias yet, right? So so I'm I'm kind of relentless. So yeah, it's just you. Can, I mean, you could tell I just get so excited about being part of someone else. Yeah. I really do. I think you. I'm so glad you brought up the other side of it, which is that you can end up being caught up in relationships and not know how to stop. It's an energetic exchange that happens in the sexual instinct. That's wonderful, right? There's this like, that's the reason why you can go an hour, two hours, three hours in a conversation without a problem. If it's interesting, if it's life-giving, mm-hmm. if there's that connection, that sizzle, that vibrancy, if that's happening, 
hey man, let's, let's go because you lose all sense of time and you're in this like feeling them, they're feeling you. Um, the low side, totally. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's happened to me countless of times where I get caught up in a relationship and it's, I'm carrying too much. I start picking up on too much of their struggle, their negativity, their, whatever's going on in their world. And then I'm caught in that. And then also not knowing how to have boundaries around how much is too much of this connection with another person? So, well, like what you just said and what Paige yeah. just said, it's it's that losing the objective distance where you can be an observer because you're Absolutely. an observer at that point. You're an engaged. No, you're totally you're completely enwrapped. And and the same thing with your empathy and and um, compassion um, picture, Peggy. Like that's so true. It's like learning that you need to actually have a little bit of that objective distance to to be able to speak to that. So no, that's a really good point. You got, you, you both brought up. Um, I really appreciate that. What about you, Christian? Talk about this immersion uh, fusion piece. Definitely relate with all of you guys, especially the, the swimming uh, analogy is really good. Or the soaking analogy is really, mm-hmm. really good. The way that I get into bands is I don't listen to just one of the songs. I listen to every single one of their songs <laughs> by all of their, in all their records. And I, play them on repeat for weeks and months. And that's how I, that's how I know I'm a fan of, of that band. Sometimes it'll happen with some bands and sometimes it won't. And then like, I'll do a lot of reading like Aaron does. Like I'll read up on the biography of not just the lead singer, not just the songwriter, but like the banjoist, you know, <laughs> on the side. And I pretend that I'm, I'm in that band. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. And I thought that, Oh, you are in that band. <laughs> And you put on the record and you play along too? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. You are the in next, that? Yeah. The next thing is I got to send an audition tape of me with the, <laughs> the green screen of their footage. There yeah. you go. Nice. But, uh, I actually resonated with Aaron a little bit about like kind of just with the boredom. Because I think what I realized that depressed me really badly was that nothing lasts. And so like for whatever like high you get from like, the union of being so engrossed in something or like so engrossed with the relationship, like it always just ends. And then you're always kind of left wanting more. And, and I, I thought that like, maybe, maybe I just, my desires are just disordered and maybe I should just stop trying to like fuse or immerse myself in things. And I didn't know I was doing that at the, time Mm -hmm. know those words but i just stopped i just stopped doing that and it was so boring right yeah (laughs) yeah, Yeah. and it's now just becoming clearer to me that it is one of the things that does give me life you know yeah and i can hear the pain when you talk about that Mm -hmm. because it was an attempt to cut off a part of yourself that's so core to you that you can't do that but Mm -hmm. that you also felt the pain of what the low side of that has cost you. But through this process, you're growing into using that high side of that immersion to to use it for enjoyment, for pleasure, that exchange, that energetic thing, without it like pulling you completely out of the holistic, inclusive aspect of your identity. Do you hear, though, that connection between that instinct and the fear of the seven? Yes. which is the fear of the seven is deprivation. I will be without. 
And the sexual energy then it brings that need, that fear of deprivation, not in the self-preservational realm, but in the connection to other people realm. And so there's this like, I've got to have this connection. And when you do, your heart gets into it. This is the reason why what you just described sounds very four-ish. And other fours who are listening would connect to this. And people who are listening might say, well, that sounds like a four. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the heart that the seven has. And so you've really, I'm glad you brought that up because of that connection between the deprivation, fear of deprivation and the sexual energy, particularly the fusing piece. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Well, let's talk about your neutral instincts. So you have your dominant, which Mm -hmm. is sexual, and then uh, you have your neutral or your secondary, however you want to refer to that. Uh, We usually refer to it as your more neutral instinct. What is your secondary instinct in your sequence and how do you use it? Does it show up to serve the sexual? Does it serve you in some other way? But just share about what's your relationship. We've been talking more that way. Your relationship to your neutral instinct. My second one is self-pres. So I think I am pretty high. It was pretty high in it. But I, for me, I just financial resources. They, I live in an abundance mindset that it's all going to fall right where it needs to. My husband does not feel that way at all. I think I'm a bit of a dreamer. Well, I feel like a dreamer for to a lot of people. Like I live in Fort Lauderdale. We've had actually a good amount of hurricanes coming through and people go in crazy mode, like need all the resources and then COVID. But I just, I didn't. (laughs) I was like, I, I got enough toilet paper. If I really, I don't know. It wasn't a thing for me. But I definitely like, I want a cozy home. I get really frustrated that I can't keep my home as clean as other self-preservational people. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm being completely honest, (laughs) that's the most irritating thing for me. But yeah, I think I'm pretty high overall. I like, but I think it's probably kicked in recently, like becoming a mom. You just kind of start being that way. <laughs> but I, I, ha- I was not. I was the messy kid throughout my childhood. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, mine is the social instinct. I think that means like you can take it or leave it. <laughs> um, and if you could take it or leave it, I've definitely done a lot of taking. I've definitely lo- done a lot of leaving as well. And I love obviously to make people laugh. The more people that I can make laugh, the better it feels. I think it's, it's really important like when I was in the band to develop a, um, a good social kind of mentality, something that kind of looks out for the better of the group. And I definitely was able to use the one-on-one, the connection, the fusion to kind of like bolster the, the social group because, you know, I think, cause I'm not as good at navigating the whole group as I am one-on-one. So if there's an argument and I get kind of frustrated, I can't really like communicate the way I want to with each specific person. So I have to like split off and do a one-on-one with each person and then be like, this is, this is where I'm coming from. And I'm telling you in the way that I know that you'll be able to resonate with me with, and then I'll go off and do the same thing with each, each other person. And then we come back and then we have like a little bit of a better understanding at times, especially like during, during COVID times, it's taken a lot 
more effort. It feels like to me to reach out and do stuff because it just feels like if if I'm not reaching out, then nothing's getting done. <laughs> so like I've spent a lot of time just by myself this past year. And it's been really hard. And it's it's really affected just like I didn't really realize how important it was informing like why do I do what I want to do? And I think people, other people have a lot to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, li- I like that example of the band because that was using the social to serve the the need for the sexual. So you have the performance, it's the energy exchange, you're putting yourself out there and you're using that to, you know, have one-on-one conversations with different bandmates to um, to have that connection and, and solve problems in that in that regard. So yeah, that's a good example. I appreciate that. What about you, Peggy and Joel? I just was amazed with Christian. Um, it's exactly what I do as a teacher. You know, I teach to the group and I use a lot of humor, a lot of humor, because the subject I teach is so dark sometimes. But then I'm always aware of the people that are on the edge that I need to check in with to make sure they're okay. If someone said, again, to describe me as other than random, it's authentic, um, because I, I'm very aware of um, each individual in the whole group. Like I'm always, I'm always doing that to really sometimes to the point where I almost make myself sick and I have to, you know, when I teach, I put 150% into teaching and then I have to go home and I don't want it to talk to anyone. I don't, I just want to be by myself and plug myself into a battery because mm-hmm. I'm completely depleted, completely What's your, what's your second, um, uh, definitely social. I mean, social. it's yeah, definitely yeah. social and I can use it. Yeah. I can use it, but I use the social to get me to the individual. Yeah. 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 Same here. So mine's social as well. And for me, I describe it as that's the playground. You know, if I'm, um, I like that. that's the, the sort of canvas or context for me to do this connection piece, you know? So Yes, when it comes to to using it, that's how I use it. I use it for that purpose. But if I have to do a lot of sort of higher level social stuff, like reading and interpreting, bonding and affiliating, you know, contributing, looking to see how others are contributing, that's tiresome. Uh, what I noticed, and I, I started seeing this, and I didn't like it in me. And I think other sevens have to, even other sevens I know who have actually gotten, um, uh, you know, caught up in, in drinking, it was because they didn't like the part of themselves at parties. It wasn't as social, wasn't as capable of doing all of the people meeting with everybody all the time. And so they drank to do so. I totally get that because mm-hmm. I found myself, even though alcohol wasn't my, my vice, I found myself actually drinking a little bit more and as soon as I started to relax, then I could do a little bit more of the social engagement because the natural flow of the, of the sexual energy for me is much more of the one-on-one. If there's like a group and they're all interacting with each other and me, that's a lot on my brain. It takes a lot more energy for me to actually pay attention to that in the group dynamics. So that's how it shows up for me. Yeah, that's interesting. The way you just described that, our dominant instinct, it really does function almost automatically. And then our secondary, it as far as its effect on us is more neutral, 
but it still requires more energy than the dominant. And then the repressed or the neglected, lately I've been using even the term resisted, uh, <laughs> that last one requires the most energy, the most intention in order to mm-hmm. actually move forward. Because Absolutely. we almost have a, a pulling or a reaction against it, or it's something we just sort of ignore. So um, what is your neglected or your repressed or your resisted instinct? And uh, what is your relationship to that instinct? Is self-preservation. And my relationship to it has just been long since it's just been one of defeat, complete, complete defeat. Mm. I mean, I grew up well cared for and still am to this day, even though I live by myself. Well, I have a roommate. He's an eight, sexual eight. So, but he's very home me. So it's, it's nice for me that he does all the dishes and, um, <laughs> and cleans the house all the time. And I'm just like, I know that in these next 15 days, I will not have time to clean my room, nor will I have the will or willpower to do so. And my room has been the way it is for like 13 days now. And I think it's pretty clean. (laughs) So yeah. And with like planning and all that stuff, it's almost like an inside joke with me at this point where it's just like, yeah, it's, it's so odd obvious that it's something that I know I need to work on that I've tried and it has failed. I mean, COVID's been better for that sense because it's made me kind of like do a routine. So now I actually have a routine where I wake up Mm. uh, when it gets, gets light out. I go downstairs, I I make my own coffee and I sit down and then I just pretend that I'm normal. And then after, (laughs) yeah. Like maybe read read the news, um, maybe plan, plan my day out, and then and I'm like, this is actually pretty cool. And then after 15 minutes, I go insane. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome! Oh man, I'm you cracked crying. us all up. I know. <laughs> Aaron's cracking there, cracked up. Well, that was the other question. Is like you hinted at it there. Like also, how are you growing through the instinct? That was the other part I forgot. I haven't like totally given up. I guess <laughs> you know I should say, but. But yeah, just being able to just see like, what am I willing to do? And then just kind of negotiate that. Okay, maybe maybe you could pick up one thing today. Maybe you can just plan something for once and do that every single day. And when I'm on a good roll, it really does free me up. It unclutters the mind as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it does make me feel like I'm a bit freer to be me, ironically. You know, because I just thought that like, oh man, you'd have to be so conceited to sit down and write out a budget, but, uh, (laughs) but you just do it. You do it like once and you don't have to worry about it again. Yeah. Yeah. You said something that's so important where we resist our lowest instinct a lot of times because we think it'll make us less of ourselves, but you just said it like actually provides more freedom. It frees up space. Uh, it gives you a little bit more clarity. So it, and the terms you use is you're basically saying by dialing up myself pres, I'm serving my seven. Um, because I do, I have more freedom and there's a little bit more space. No, so that was really well said. I, I appreciate that. Um, we only have one who is the lowest of social, but we've got two more who are low in the self pres. So I want to hear from you two who are low in self pres as far as, you know, how are you growing through it and, and what's your relationship to that instinct? So mine is definitely... Definitely self-preservation. And again, we were talking a little bit before the show that I married somebody who is a self-preservation. So he, t- you know, for a long time, he took care of that for me, right? He's 
spreadsheets or foreplay for him. So um, I just, you know, like I have to say, oh, honey, that's the most beautiful spreadsheet I've ever seen in my life. Right. And then I can have anything I want. So that's awesome. I wish everyone could see the facial expressions that <laughs> caused in the Zoom room. Aaron is loving that. <laughs> so, yeah. So my eyes literally roll back in my head when Paul starts talking budget. I mean, I don't care how he does it. And I really do have to stop and say that every once in a while because he's this close to putting our budget on television screen and having me watch it that way with one of those highlighter things, those laser beam thingies. <laughs> So I used to be terrible with money. I used to be terrible with sleep. My drinking caused like this crazy, I couldn't sleep ever. And I spent thousands of dollars on on sleep. I did everything possibly except quit drinking. (laughs) Because then when I quit drinking, I started sleeping. You know, the work made me do the non-negotiable routines. Like I journal, I write, I walk, I breathe. I changed the freaking oil in my car. Nice. Right? Impressive. And so all of that has given me like 33% more life. Like Hmm. Christian's right. Paying attention to my self-preservation, which I don't think I ever have in my entire life, is like the most freedom I've ever had in my entire life. Ever. Hmm. Ever. So. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's, oh man, I so relate with you. I so relate with Christian. I'm dying laughing because I see that over and over. I mean, even the idea of like a spreadsheet. uh, Yeah. I I mean, all of that stuff has always been a problem and my resistance was quite high in that space. And yet I have a very interesting history of having dived deeply into self-preservational things. For example, Mm -hmm construction while I was in college and being in that world, but I never felt like an insider ever. I always knew I was definitely on the outside of that, that everybody else understood no matter how hard I worked. And I worked hard at trying to be good at it. I was just barely average. And that's as far as I got with it. But it was always a point of just resistance and pain and felt inadequate in many regards. I felt inadequate around making money. I felt inadequate around you know, taking care of the home, the house. And, uh, and so that inadequacy just made it feel even worse. So that's the reason why I avoided it all the more. It was like every time, even if I touch it, I'm not good at it. So, um, that was a lot, that was a lot of, of my life. And then in the recent year, I've been practicing a lot more self-preservation. I've welcomed it back and started doing some of it. And it does create, I love the way you put it, Christian. I think it's so right on. It creates space. Uh, I like that. Uh, I'm thinking even in terms of the content, the the idea of how do we talk about self-preservation? It it is that, that space maker. It's like this organizer. And then it allows the other parts to flow better. Definitely feels that way for me as well. And and I actually find myself taking breaks from my overdoing the sexual energy. If I've had a week of just nonstop conversations with people, you know, social, social be my second. It's, it just, keeps that going. If your self-pres is the second to it, it kind of slows that down a little bit, but not, not for my, me, you know, it just keeps it going. And then I gas out. And then it's just like, I just want to do something physical. I just want to do something where I just go for a walk or even just doing dishes feels very like, you know, dialing down, being able to breathe again. Well, Aaron, you're the uh, odd one out here with social as the 
neglected. Talk about your relationship to social and how you're growing through it. And Social. So I think, yeah, I think groups just overwhelm me. I'm such a more one-to-one person. And I actually realized that when I was working in social work and I worked at a substance abuse treatment center and one-on-one with people, I was right on connecting. And then when I would run groups, the anxiety before, this is growth right here doing this, but like the, and just practicing, I think putting myself in those situations where I can, yeah, you doing it scared, but Mm. it's not that I couldn't read. Like I could tell if people, Oh, that upset that person. I couldn't like micromanage it all. I couldn't deal with all the personalities and the dynamics of the group. And it would, I would just come out super drained, like super drained. Yeah. Is it because you're trying to, um, have that level of connection you're used to in the one-to-one arena with like each of the people in the group and you're trying to shifting between them and trying to keep up with that much data? I think, yeah, I think I'm so in my head, a lot of it. And it's just like so much coming at me. And it's also, I'm trying to observe so much. And then it's also a lot of it is super negative, which is super draining as well for me. Uh So I'm just... That's why I've kind of realized, I think moving forward, I want to be more of a coach rather than a therapist because it's a little more goal-oriented for me Yeah. because sometimes I sometimes can't handle the dark, which I don't know, that would be growth too. But if I'm being honest. <laughs> Good. Yeah. That's great for you to be able to see that. Um, and it's not like I, I you know, you the goal is for you to be around pain nonstop and to be wallowing in it and be, you know, that's not the goal. The goal is how do I stay present long enough and then bring in the gift of the seven, which is to help people to see things differently, to help people uh, grow and transform. Like in our work, there's no way that I could be uh, somebody who meets with people week after week or month after month without mm-hmm. any transformation change. Mm-hmm. Growth. Right, Peggy, Peggy, you're nodding your head. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that would be death to my soul. Like I need to see transformation, growth, progress. That's the seven. That's a good yeah. thing. It's not a bad mm-hmm. thing. I know. And I always thought like, am I being selfish? Like mm-hmm. I can't stay in it with them or, but I, this has helped me realize like, that's just who I am. And that's why that sometimes really hard stuff is that's just not my place to be. That's not someone else's. And I am, I'm a massive reframer. Like I think people call me for that, you know, okay, this mm-hmm. is what's going on. And I, I can always find the light in it. Right. But I always am kind of pulling myself back being like, is this toxic positivity? Like, you know, like if someone's just sharing to share, I can be a listening ear and I don't have to reframe all the time as well um, for people. Yeah. And for all the sevens, it's not, it's, this is so important. What you want to grow towards is being less afraid of the dark and not letting that be the reason why you're always reframing. It's just becoming aware of the times where that happens. It's not about trying to uh, navel gaze too much. We're not asking that. We're just saying when you become aware that this is driving, that's what's running the show for you. It's like, I'm afraid of the dark. Therefore, I can't have any of these conversations. Therefore, I always have to reframe and spin and to more of uh, I'm getting comfortable enough with the dark. However, we don't need to stay there. We don't need to stay forever in the darkness. We can also move towards the light. 
That's the growth edge for the seven. And when you do that, it is incredibly effective in the lives of people around you. But it makes sense for you in terms of the social sphere, why it's exhausting for you and why it's difficult because of the way you described it. I think you did an excellent job of describing what's happening. And it sounds like the self-pres instinct, which is your second, is helping you, is that protecting you. Like, let's not do too much of that because that'll wear you out. Yeah. yeah, no, I've actually gotten really good at boundaries and just kind of giving myself permission to say like, I'm not going to listen to that today. And just being aware and telling other people to set boundaries and then telling them the boundary <laughs> as well. You know, you can say like, I'm not ready for this information right now. I'm not in the right headspace. And that's, that's okay. Good. That's, good. <laughs> that's a great line. Not to mention, because that's what we've, that's what I'm learning to do is, uh, is, and this is where the intelligences are brilliant around our instincts is like, they really have a brilliance to them. And having that as your second has protected you. Whereas for those of us who are sexual first, social second, not so much. That's what we have yeah. to grow into. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, thank you all so much. You have really added to uh, definitely my knowledge of the sexual seven, and but how you nuance it, even in the stack, like this is just endlessly deep. And, you know, we always say that we are not putting anyone in a box. Like you're, This is your starting point. This is your not your landing place. This is your launch pad. And to see how you've been moving from here and growing from there is really a, a gift for people to listen to and for other sexual sevens to learn from you in, in what you shared today. So um, we are so thankful. This has been just an incredible season. And we are thankful for the gift that you have given in sharing yourself, sharing your own story, uh, because your story will help uh, guide others. It'll be, it'll be a light to others. So you've brought all of yourself. You've brought the uh, you've brought the fun and the joy and the laughter of your type, but you've also brought the darkness that you've had to face. And so that is that too is a gift and a gift to us in this space. So thank you so much for joining us on this podcast and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at www.theartofgrowth.org. That's the place to learn more about our comprehensive training and coaching programs for organizations around team health. And you can also reach out to us there about individual coaching as well. And there are many tools on the Art of Growth website to help you on your journey. We'd also encourage you to check out the main Art of Growth podcast. Grace and growth, my friends.